The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Good morning. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, Acts chapter 2, that's where we're going to be. Can you believe it is the second week of February already? Dang. All right. I mean, if you, if you don't have your mind blown right now, on a second week of February, right? Uh, okay, let me, let me ask you this question. Uh, how many of you guys made New Year's resolutions, and at this point in the game, they've kind of just fizzled out? Uh, okay. okay, maybe a better question. How many of you made New Year's resolutions, and at this point, second week, second Sunday in February, that you are still holding strong? Three, I see a three and a half, right? A, a, a couple of us. That is awesome. I, I know that we make uh, New Year's resolutions to somehow uh, better our lives. We, we say, okay, this is some things I want to tweak. These are some things I want to change. These are, these are some things that are going to help me be better. Or, or these are some things that are going to help my world be a little better. Right, And so we, we kind of make these resolutions knowing that, that there's a mountain to climb and we can get a little better at things unless you begin to make resolutions uh, like, I want to watch more TV this year. That was the half, all right? I'm, I'm almost there, man. I mean, I almost, almost got it. Unless, unless you make resolutions like, you know what, I'm going to resolve to maybe spend some more time on Facebook this year. Want to do that? Or maybe eat some more fast food. All right, if I could go through the drive-thru a few more times this year, that would be better. People don't normally do that, and if you do, you're probably doing pretty well. <laughs> probably nailing it. Uh, but but in, in, in overall perspective, we say, you know what, these are some things that I want to resolve to do that I want to start to get better at. Uh, at the beginning of the year, we started a series called uh, Devoted, and, and hoping that it would somehow uh, stir our hearts as followers of Jesus to say, what are the things that are important in my life that I can maybe put into action so that, so that I don't find myself just drawing to watching more TV? Right or, or or drawing closer to God, and so this is this is why we're doing this is because you can uh, eat better, you can exercise better, you can be a better employee, you can be a better wife, you can be a better husband, you can be a better sibling, you can be a better friend, you can be a better reader, you can be uh, have a better job, and in the end, it do you no good. In the end, of all things, in the end, it could become worthless because how good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his own soul? If it doesn't, in the end, lead you to a better place of knowing God and walking with God and seeing God's glory in your life, then in the end, it doesn't really, really, really matter. It's why I don't teach on things like five steps to be a better person. Because in the end, you could perish. In the end, it really does us no, no joy. There's no real wealth because in the end, you could get those things and then your joy will, will begin to fall when those things begin to fall. And so being devoted is asking the question, how do I, how do I make some resolutions? How do I begin to look at my life as a Christ follower so that I can see God more and I can experience more of his glory in my life and as a church. And so we started uh, in Acts chapter 2 looking at some of the things uh, that we see here. Look in Acts chapter 2 starting verse 36. 
This is Peter proclaiming to Israel and the people that are gathered there. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. And so, and so they're, they're remembering what had just happened. And so here they are gathering together. And Peter's proclaiming that, that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the one that was crucified upon the cross. And he is the one that, that, that is uh, God himself coming to us as the deliverer. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. When they heard this, that their sin is what crucified Christ. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That, see, see, God is doing something as they hear the good news that Jesus Christ came for them. And brothers, what do we, what do, we do now? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's, here's what's happening here. Okay, because of our sin, we were separated by God. We were separated because of our sin. We were separated. We were pushed out of righteousness because we are unrighteous. And so God, not leaving us in our brokenness and leaving us in our sin, he sent Jesus to live the perfect life and die the death that we deserve to die. And so now, through faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, we can be united back to God. That is the promised Holy Spirit that he's talking about. God dwelling now in you. There is a union back with God. He says, repent, return to God, come back to Christ, forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift for your whole, of the Holy Spirit. Unity back with God. For this promise is for who? For you and for your children and for all who are far off. So, so this promise of being brought back to God through the blood and the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is now guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. And he says, you're back with union with Christ. It's for you and for your children and for everyone, 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 all who are far off and all whom the Lord will call to himself. And with many other signs, he bore witness and exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word. That's key. Not just hear the word, but receive the word. Those who received the word were baptized and added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people come to Christ through faith and they, the 3,000, because they were cut to the heart, because the 3,000 were compelled in their soul, because the 3,000 received the good news into their lives, now all of a sudden something begins to flow out of that. Something begins to come out of that, verse 42. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the word of God. And the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles, and all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And listen to verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. That's a, that's a, 
That's a, that's a transformed life, isn't it? And day by day, they attend the temple together, and they broke bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. This means they received food gladly, and they gave gladly, generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day by day by day by day those who were being saved. Now, I believe that Luke, the writer of Acts, we say Luke is the writer of Acts because of Acts 1.1. He refers to his other book, which we now know as the Gospel of Luke. He begins to say there's something, something praiseworthy here. There's something praiseworthy that I want to show you here. There's something that is all through the book of Luke that Luke finds very, very, very important because in in the gospel of Luke, we see this link to our salvation. We see this thing that Luke is passionate about linked to a new life in Christ, and this is generosity. Now today we're going to take a little journey through the book of Luke And you're going to see the heart behind the doctor here, Dr. Luke. He's very, very passionate about this. And so turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. That's where we're going to start. Luke chapter 4. Jesus begins his ministry. He begins to go into the temple and teach, and he asks for the scroll. And so they bring him the scroll of Isaiah, and he opens up the scroll I don't know how you turn pages in that, but there's no really chapters or anything. But he opens the scroll, he begins to scroll down the page a little bit to, to Isaiah 61, and then he begins to read. This is Luke uh, 4.18. Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now let me ask you a question. What would be good news to poor? Money, riches, wealth, with that provisions, right? Right? I mean, if you're poor, good news to someone who is poor is some type of provision. Some type of resource, some type of money or or wealth or something. And so he says, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. But is he is he talking about monetary money? Is he talking about uh, dollars and cents and bills? Is that what he's talking about? Well, in Matthew 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I believe that there is a direct correlation between being poor financially, being poor materialistically, and being poor in spirit. There's a a correlation there, and that we need to see that in your souls, there needs to be a, 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 a brokenness, there needs to be a poverty in your soul, and when there's a poverty in your soul, you understand there's a need for God, and when you understand there's a need for God, for theirs is the kingdom. Are you following me? And so there's a riches beyond money that Jesus says, I came to give. 
namely good news. It's going to make you wealthy. He says this uh, in all of verse 18. Look, keep reading. He says, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Does that mean that everyone's in jail going to be set free out of the jail? Well, eventually in eternity, yes, everything's going to be opened up and everything will be set free. But does that mean that I'm here to let you know that everyone who's in jail is going to come out? That's not what he means. Recovering sight to the blind, eventually... But maybe it's, I was blind, but now I see. You know that? Set liberty to those who are oppressed. So people are oppressed because of status, because of lack, because of who they are, where they grew up, or who their family was, or what job they hold. And there's oppression, and so there's a liberty that comes out of oppression. I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, flip over, chapter 6. Chapter 6 Uh, Look in verse 24. Popular, popular verse. We love it in America. I'm kidding. But woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. That's like a consolation prize. I always think of that. Like, like, uh, uh, I know you didn't win anything, so here's a little gift for your comfort. Right? Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your your peace. You've received your blessing. You have received the encouragement for your soul in your riches, he says. Woe to you, because one day they will fade. Um, Flip over um, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. This one really kind of got me. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetedness. Covetedness is wanting what somebody else has. Whether that's um, a spouse or a children or homes or cars or jobs or, money or any, anything that somebody else has that you look at and you're like, ooh, that's, that's nice. I like that. I want that. That's a covetedness. For one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possession. He's reminding us, listen, your life does not consist or revolve around that. Now look at verse 16. And so Jesus told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. That's a good idea, right? I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll tear down what I have and I'll build, build bigger and bigger and bigger barns, larger ones. And, and there, at that place, I'll store all my grain and all my goods. That's what I'll do. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many, many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And we're like, ooh, that sounds nice. Amen? Doesn't that sound nice? Especially if it's your friend and they invite you into that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the beach. I'm going to buy this. You should come with me. like, yeah. (laughs) Let's do that. 
And God says, you fool. You fool. Not that we don't need vacations. Don't hear that. Look at why he says, but God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? There it is. Who are you giving to? Who, who are you leaving it? Who, who are you generous to? Who's, who's all this is going to be? Whose is this going to be? So the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Okay, flip over. Uh, Let's go to uh, Luke 16. Now this one. Dang, all right? That's all I'm going to say. Dang. Luke 16. I know you guys aren't very chipper right now. That's all right. I had a week to kind of mull on this. Luke 16.10. The parable. I'm going to kind of just hit it at the end here. It says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. The one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in which is another's, who will give you what, what is yours, what, which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one. And despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Super encouraging verse. (laughs) At this point, if this sounds very uh, religious to you, if, if this sounds very works-based to you, let me, let me just clarify something. It will always sound religious to you if you have not first understood the riches of the grace that are in God. It will always always sound burdensome to you when you're a pastor or a preacher. Read verses like this if you have not first experienced the riches and the depth and the height and the, and the breadth of the love that is in Christ. It will always seem that way. When you, when you know the gospel that you were dead in your sins, that you were dead in your trespasses, that you were helpless and dead, wallowing in your blood, as it says in Ezekiel 16. And I saw you wallowing in your blood. I came to you. I ran to you. 
And so those who have received Christ, because God is being rich in mercy, rich in grace, and rich in love, he found you, and he picked you up, and he brought you unto himself, and it is by grace through faith that you've been saved, and this is no work of yourselves so that no man can boast. When you realize that there is no amount that you can pay the debt that you owe to God, When you actually read Matthew 18 and it says that the master came to serve the debt of his servants and he says, you owe me 10,000 talents. Do you know what a talent is? 20 years of wages. 10,000, 20 years wages. 200,000 years of wages is what you owe. That is a debt that you can never pay. And so when you realize the grace, when you know the riches, when he says, I'll wipe it all clean. I'll take it all away. I'll make it all new. You are mine. I am yours. All of that debt, it's completely gone. Then we will taste the riches that are in the grace of Christ. And then when we read verses like this, we can be cheerful and generous and give ourselves away. If your life has truly received the grace of Jesus Christ, then only then can you be filled with a joyful generosity that Luke is talking about. Well, Eric, what does this look like? I want to I know what this looks like. I want to know if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm doing that. I want to know if I'm poor in spirit and I've received Jesus. I want to know if I'm finding my comfort in material things. Wouldn't you want to know what that looks like? So you can test yourselves against the scriptures. Wouldn't you know if, if you're one of the people that are just building bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger for myself and my goods? Wouldn't you want to know if, if you're serving someone, some other master besides God? I would. I begin to look at myself and say, am I doing this? Well, there's two interactions that Jesus has, both found in Luke. The first one is in Luke 18, and they're going to contrast each other. I want to show you these. I pray. Some of you, some of you before I even read this, you already know. You already know where you're at. And so maybe today God is cutting to your heart and you begin to ask the question in yourself, well, Eric, what do we do? Repent. Turn back to God. He'll forgive it. He'll wipe it clean. Forgive the sins. He'll give you the promise, Holy Spirit. Know the grace of God. Come back to God. Repent. Now watch this, Luke 18, starting in verse 18. This is a rich ruler, great story. And a ruler asked him, asking Jesus, he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? That's interesting. 
He says, no one is good except for God is alone. Hey, I, you, you know, I'm just kind of painting a picture in my mind here. I don't know how your mind works, but my mind looks, works this way. So this guy, this rich guy, kind of, kind of really nice and, and statury and, and very good. He kind of walks up. I don't even know if statury is a word. Uh, I, he, he kind of walks up and he says, he says, good teacher. He says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And it's almost like he's got his resume in his back pocket ready for Jesus to ask him, uh, what he, tell him what he needs to do so he can show him what it was. And, and, and Jesus, his first question is, he's like, why do you, why do you call me good? I don't know if Jesus is excited here. Oh, you're calling me good because you think I'm God. And if you think I'm God, then there's eternal life for you. And, and, so, and so that's not the case. But he comes up to him. He says, he says why, do you, why do you call me good? There's no one good except for God alone. Are you, you think I'm God? No. Oh. Well, verse 20. Well, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Circle that one. Really? That's, that's what I need to do? Oh. I've done all those things since I was a boy. That's what he says. All these things I've kept even from my youth. It's like, it's like he stands up a little taller if he could. It's like he puts out his chest a little bit more. And he, it's like he starts to walk away like, I nailed that. I knew it. I am in. I am in. And, and he's like, oh, Yeah. It's almost like, like, like right before he, he, he starts to walk away, she's like, oh, um, there is one thing that you still lack. You need to be poor in spirit. Ooh. Didn't say that, but it refers to it. Look at it. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, Hey, uh, hold on a minute. One, one thing you still lack. You need to sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad. For he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, he said, How difficult is those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Because he says, he says, You know how to inherit eternal life? Become nothing and follow me. Become poor in your soul, become poor in your spirit. Know that you need me more than you need anything else. And when you become poor in your spirit and you come follow me, you'll be rich then. Because he just says, go sell everything and then you'll be rich. He says, he says how difficult is those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to become nothing. I added that. And enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it, they said to him, then, then who, who can be saved? 
I love this. Jesus says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Jesus saves. Your works, your righteous acts fall short. Jesus, Jesus saves. Does Jesus mean sell all that you have so that somehow you can earn your way into eternal life? He says, no, you need to be poor in spirit. He says, you need to be broken in your heart and and come follow me. And when you follow me, when you see me, when you taste and you see that my grace is worth everything, possessions won't matter to you, you'll know and you'll be rich. Okay, let's contrast that. Luke 19. Jesus saves. Now Jesus, he entered into Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. Oh, we love Zacchaeus, that little guy. Mm. And he was a chief tax collector and was what? Rich. Uh Uh-oh. Did you know it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into heaven? This guy has got a battle in front of him, does he not? He was rich. This is, this is the leading Jericho tax collector. He is, he is stealing from people. He's this, this little, little, little leader of this tax cartel. And he's, he's robbing and he's and, and stealing. And he's taking from all his people, all his family, all the people around him. And he knows he's corrupt. The people knows he's corrupt. He understands he's corrupt. He wants to see Jesus, so he runs, he climbs up in a tree, and Jesus calls him out to get down, let's go, and we go to your house. You know the story, maybe? It's a good one. So they go to the house, and he has this interaction with Jesus. He, he sees the grace of Jesus, first of all, calling him out and says, come on, you're coming to me, I'm coming to your house, I'm staying with you, I want to talk to you. And so he has this interaction. Look in verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, after this interaction, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it four times, fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Since he is also a son of Abraham. Since he also came by faith. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. When we meet Jesus, everything changes. What in your life has changed since you've become a Christian? When you meet Jesus, everything changes from your heart to your hands. So the same fingers that once reached to extort money from people now is giving out generously. 
and paying back and selling possessions and giving it away. It's like Zacchaeus went through the eye of the needle because with God, it's possible. And so the indication of a regenerate new life heart is that when you begin to take what rules your life and rules your world and now you take it and you open-handedly give it away and say, all of it's God's. Talk about transformation. We don't talk about that in America. People don't like that. He doesn't just say, I'll give. He doesn't just say, I'll sell myself. He does it. And he goes in one moment, the littlest man in town, and comes out the biggest. What happened to this guy? His whole life revolved around this thing, and now it's broken wide open. Generosity is the sign of a regenerate soul. When you know the grace of Christ, we cannot help but say, take it all. Literally, take it all. Those who have been transformed through encounter with Christ will be Generous. Now, I want you to hear me for just a minute. Take a drink. I'm not talking about tithing. I'm talking about generosity. You can be stingy and still give 10%. You can be greedy and hoarding, and very easily give a tithe, give a, give a tenth. You can very easily begin to store, 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 and give 10%. I'm not talking about tithing. Hear me. If you give tithes, if you give to the church because you think you should, if you give to the church because you think you're obligated. If your giving is only an obligation, it is not, not, not uh, just an obligation. It is very ritualistic, and God doesn't want that. 2 Corinthians 9, it says you should decide in your heart on what you should give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, but joyfully and cheerfully. You should give. Listen, we're not talking about tithing. We're talking about generosity, you want, to be, you, want to be, you want to be a stickler about how much you give? Well, let's just go to the Old Testament. Let me just enlighten you, okay? In the Old Testament, there's three tithes, and there's actually a king's tithe, but we're only going to talk about three. There's a Levitical tithe, there's a tithe of the feast, and then there's a tithe to the poor. The tithe to the poor comes only once every three years. The other two come every year. So if you want to be, be systematic in your giving, then take out that envelope, and 23 and a third percent is what you give. Go ahead. It's about generosity. I'm kidding. Put the envelope down. I saw someone like lean forward. Tithing's not the point. Generosity flows from the heart. 
a heart that is regenerate by the gospel of Jesus. And so a heart that has received the infinite worth and the understanding of the riches that are in Christ, then that, that men and women understand that their life has been forgiven of all their sins, that their life has been bought with a price, that through the Christ that came and died in our place, the truth is that we can be generous givers. Have you received that truth? It says when, when they received the truth, they devoted themselves to something. When they received the truth, something happened. What happened? What happens when the truth comes to you? The truth will what? It will set you free. Set you free to what? To live lives of devotion to God, lives of generosity, lives of, of giving, not, not building and building and building. Listen, listen, in Hebrews 12, it says, through the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross for your sake. Romans 8 says, God did not spare his own son, but he gave, he gave, he gave, he gave, he gave himself up for us all. And who knows, John 3, 16, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Listen, when you receive that gift, you're rich. Oh, are you rich? The truth that God gave Jesus is good news to the poor. It's freedom to the prisoner. It's sight to the blind. It's liberty to the pressed. It's forgiveness to the sinner. And it's eternal life to the dead. When you realize you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but because of his grace he made you alive, you will be generous. Free to give our time. Free to give our energy. Free to give our possessions. Free to give our money so that we can be conduits of God's grace to a, to a world that is poor. And I'm not talking about not having cars or, or stuff. We can now be conduits to a broken world who is held captive. We can be conduits to a broken world who is in oppression. We can be conduits to a broken world that needs to know the wealth that goes beyond our possessions. And so now we give generously. If we're going to be devoted to generosity, we must be devoted to knowing God's grace daily. That's why every time I put this face mic on, I will remind you of the gospel. You are a sinner and lost without Jesus. And he came and he saved you if you would receive it. When we when we get that, we will have lives that point to Christ everywhere in every way. And we will see ourselves, like in Acts chapter 2, people giving of their possessions to those who are in need daily, always, just generosity and generosity. Or, or, or look, in, look in 2 Corinthians 8. Go ahead, turn there. Strong. You want to know what this looks like? Look in 2 Corinthians 8. Eight one. It says, it says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. Isn't that what we're talking about? We want you to know, brothers, of the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a service and a severe test of affliction, 
their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. So they are not only impoverished, but they're inflicted. In their affliction and poverty, they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Look at verse 3. For they gave according to their means. They didn't just give because they had extra. When you're poverty, you don't have extra. For they gave according to their means, and I can testify beyond their means. Now let me ask you. How can a church that is afflicted and impoverished overflow in wealth of generosity? Some of you are thinking, I don't have much. How can a church through afflicted and impoverished give beyond their means? Verse verse 9. This is the whole key. For they knew, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He emptied himself for you. So that you could be rich in grace, so that you could be rich being united with God, so that you could be rich in the love that is in Christ in a world that is so in love with money and possessions, a lifestyle of radical generosity will proclaim to the world that our treasure is not here, it's in Jesus. To be devoted to generosity is knowing that God gave Christ to us. How rich are we really? If you look at your soul, do you know that God gave to you? Not us, you. You. If that's true, if that's true, we are so rich. Do you guys know, I tell you this often, there is a war for our affections. There is a war. Our time is short. The stakes are high. And there is a lure. Something shiny called America consumerism and materialism. And it is a snare. And it is a Comfort-seeking, security-demanding, heaven-ignoring culture. And it's in our world, and it's in our churches. It handicaps ministry, and it robs our lives. People are perishing. People have houses, and cars, and stuff, and jobs, and families, and, and, and stuff. That people have never, never known the truth of the gospel. Guys, I need you to hear me right now.
even churches have become so consumer-driven rather than Christ-driven. And it handicaps us as the church. Oh, I like this place because it's very comfortable there. It really suits my needs well. I like this about it, and I like this about it, and I like this. It's very pleasant. Makes me feel real comfortable. It's killing us. So many have little access to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Very few know that there is a truth in wealth found in Jesus that money cannot buy. And your generosity will shout to the world, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than any performance. Jesus is better than any, any trinket. Jesus is better than any, 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 anything, any job. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better because Jesus is welling up in grace and there is riches in the grace of God that nothing of this world could ever, ever, ever satisfy me. When a church gets this, We won't give out of our excess. We will give generously all things so that many, many more can know the gospel and the truth. When we don't, you know what it tells the world? Oh, you must believe that wealth is better. Oh, oh, you... You go to church, but you, you actually believe that, that you're building a kingdom of self just like I am. You must believe that, that things are better because we chase them instead of giving them away. These people, they gave everything away and said, no, 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 take it. I don't need it. God, I have a wealth that is beyond this. It started in the church. It overflowed to the streets. And it went to the city. And it went to all of Asia. Generosity will see the gospel move. All right, I'm going to end with this question. I know we've gone long. The question is, to what end? I hope you're asking that. To what end? What end do we... Give ourselves away. To what end? What, what, uh, how much or how far or how long? Until all the world hears the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Until all the world will hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how long we give. That's how, to what end, that we pour ourselves out. Listen, I cannot believe that I get to pastor such an incredible church. Hear me. I love this church. I know I tell you all the time. I love you guys. I I thank God every day that I get to pastor this church. Okay, okay. Last year, we we had 
20 baptisms. We had a little church. We had 20 people come and, and, and confess with their heart. Every testimony, every word was brand new. It was a new transformation of God. And he did it through us, through this body. 20 people came to know the Lord. Every week, there is a God-sized impact being made in kids encountering God in that room right there. Sometimes you hear it through the wall. Isn't it awesome? I tell them, turn it up. Let us hear that. I love that stuff. You know why that happens? Because we have the most incredible, generous kid volunteers in the world. You guys give your time, you give your energy, and you're saying, I want to invest so that kids would hear the gospel and the truth that is in Jesus Christ. I love this church. There's people all across St. Charles County last season opening up their homes, opening up their time, giving up their energies to host, to serve, to pray, to give in life groups. And people were just pouring themselves out. Listen, when we do that, lives are transformed. Listen, out of our life series, we did this, we did this life on mission thing. You know what we started to do? We started to pray every week for those who didn't know Christ. And you know what it does in us? It makes us go. It makes us want to share. It makes us want to give until all the world would hear. Listen, out of those life groups, someone said, said, I, I, I have an opportunity to leave a Bible study at my work. My coworkers are coming together. We're getting together in the morning and we're doing this Bible study. Listen, she was baptized last year. Just, just, I'm going to do this. Our life groups, we sent another couple to India. And they said, I don't want to just simply go to India. We're going to go and we're going to minister to the orphans so that they can hear the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to give ourselves away. And you know what we did? We gave money to it. We gave prayers to it. We gave hope to it. And we sent them and said, go and share in India. Or, or, or what, about, what, about, what about the church that started in Puebla, Mexico? Because some of you gave and some of you said, you know, what, what, what am I going to gain by staying? What am I going to gain by not giving? What am I going to gain if I, if, I, if I have to take some time off work? Listen, you went and you started and you prayed and you walked and you served. And people, listen, in these dirty, dirty streets of Puebla, we saw people walking down the hill, people walking up the hill, people riding up on these, these, these little motorcycles coming to a Bible study. And listen, they heard the gospel and they got saved. They were cut to the heart. They hear the truth. They receive the truth. And now there's this, this little house church in Pueblo, Mexico, because we were generous in giving ourselves away. Who could forget the families at Christmas where we just said, there's a need among us? And we said, yes. Six families. You, you know what? You know what they were asking for? Just ask some of the people who did the wrapping. You know what they wrapped? Things like, Pillows. I want a pillow. I need a pillow. Actually, my, my kids need pillows. And so we said, yes. We said, we said God, give, what, what is it going to grant me if I, if I don't do this? I want to see the kingdom of God. Your generosity affects lives for eternity. It does. It does. Without a mountain to climb, without knowing the Everest in front of us, 
I truly believe that we could be tempted to press in to comfortable levels of mediocrity, even when it comes to generosity. And so the question is, to what end? Until all the world would hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the end. That's the mountain. That's what we're climbing. That's why we're here. That's why we give. That's why we serve. That's why we're generous. So let me tell you the mountain that is in front of us. We, we need you. We need more staff. We need some more people. We need harvesters. Listen, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Everyone who is on staff here at the church is bivocational, which means we work two jobs, including myself. We need time to dedicate to training up and raising up new leaders and new harvesters. To what end? Until all the world will hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the end. And so we need more volunteers. We need, we need more support. We need more. Listen, our kids' room is out of space. It's out of space. We're starting to fill up in here. Our, our goal this year is to go to two services and fill them both up and bring our friends and bring our family and bring people. Why? To what end? We got to do that. Why are we going to be generous? Until all the world would hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the end. And so we want to go to services. Listen, this month we're starting three new life groups. We're going to talk about those at the end of the service. Three new life groups. But, but here's the deal. Is they can't just stay three life groups. We want them to multiply and split. You know what's going to need to take for that to happen? More homes. More leaners. More volunteers. More people who are generous that would say, yes, I want that. Why? So that all the world would hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and their lives would be transformed. That's the mountain that we're climbing. Our leaders, we're already on our knees asking God, what does it look like for another campus? What does it look like to duplicate ourselves in a place where there is darkness and need? Some of you are like, what are you talking about? We're having a hard time meeting the budget of this place. Do you know what it's going to require? It's going to require God. It's going to be require God doing the impossible through a, a church that's on his knees that said, what do I need to give? I want to be generous because I want to see all the world know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What am I going to gain if I don't? Nothing. We want to pray and ask God to this end. Did you guys know that there is a couple in our church right now sat at my table just a week ago that is considering selling their homes and selling everything that they have so that they can pursue full-time mission work in Mexico? So that all the world would know the truth in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're generous. There's no better cause, there's no better wealth, there's nothing higher, nothing greater for that. 
A life that points to Christ is a life that's generous. And so I want to challenge you in this. Don't just give to life point. Give through life point for the kingdom of God. Not just your money. Give your time and your energies and your hopes and your prayers. Give it through the church so that all would know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As the band comes up, I just want to close with one statement. Jesus made a way for sinners to be made righteous. Jesus made a way for the poor in spirit to be the most wealthy. Jesus made a way for sinners to become righteous. He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And it cost him everything. So those of you who are in Christ, let us not make excuses why we can't give. But rather through Christ, let us make a way even if it costs us everything. So that all the world would hear the truth of Jesus Christ. That's our mountain. Let's go. You know how you climb a mountain? One step at a time. Let's go. Let's pray. Jesus, my heart breaks for the lost. I'm over. My heart breaks for those who don't know you. My heart breaks for those who are bonded by religion, steeped in law and stuff. God, would you help us as a church? Would you help us be willing to say yes to you? Be generous to this end, to your kingdom, so that all would know the truth of the gospel of Jesus. That it is good news to the poor, is freedom to the captive, liberty to the oppressed. Jesus, we say, we say, I'm yours. All of me, I want to give all of me. Would you make us and shape us and lead us by to know your grace?
so that we could be devoted to giving ourselves away. Jesus, we need your help. And so we're asking for it now. In your name. Amen.